The church, as we continue praising this one, let's open his word. Let's open the word of the Lord. We're in John's gospel today. And as we open up to John chapter 12 at this time, any elementary kids that want to participate in children's worship are welcome to gather out in the foyer for the beginning of our children's worship time. But we're in John chapter 12 today, looking at verses 12 through 19. Today we remember the crowds welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem, marking the beginning of Holy Week. This week, during which we remember the most significant series of events in human history. John chapter 12, and today we want to hear John's account of what happened on this day. So as you find your place there in the Gospel of John, let me invite you to join me standing whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. Let's hear from the Lord today. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, John writes. He says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, This is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, would you pause with me for prayer? I know, Father, we thank you for your word, for being a God who has spoken and who still speaks. So speak to us now. The presence and power and guidance of your Holy Spirit through the proclamation of your word for the glory of your name, and it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, this week is the climax of our Savior's ministry. Like, now's the time. Here's his moment. The people are preparing to celebrate. There's excitement in the air. The city of Jerusalem and the surrounding countryside is bustling with preparations for a feast, the annual festival of unleavened bread culminating in the Passover. I wonder, have you ever prepared for a feast, for a celebration? Have you ever been part of preparations for a gathering, an exciting gathering that would take place around the table? It reminds me of Thanksgiving Day at Grandma's house. Growing up, 
Remember, gathering and learning quickly as a child that 12 probably meant 12.30 and 12.30 probably meant 1 o'clock. 1 perhaps even meant 1.30 in the afternoon before all the food was ready and all the family was gathered. It was excitement on a couple fronts. The opportunity to see family and to enjoy the fixings. Well, here are the people. Amplify that sense of excitement by infusing it with ethnic and religious identity. And a collective pilgrimage for an annual commemoration of your God's miraculous deliverance and constant commitment to your people. These folks are commemorating a huge event. Deliverance from slavery in a foreign land some 1,500 years or so earlier. Jews are gathering to remember God's faithfulness in coming to rescue Abraham's offspring. By the blood of lambs, God had spared them. He had delivered them and he instructed the saved to never, ever forget it. And so here they are, gathered to remember, traveling to Jerusalem to remember. There's anticipation of celebration, a shared identity expressed through story and through song. And one of the stories that's now being shared is of a dead man who's just been raised by Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. And as a result, John tells us, verse 11, many of the Jews were believing in him. You see, not only is it the annual celebration of freedom, but there's a mighty miracle worker coming to town who's willing to confront the elite, but who also spends time with commoners. All right, one who knows the scriptures well and who teaches with authority, one who supposedly healed the blind and restored the sick, fed the masses, calmed the sea, and now raised a dead man. We may be free from Pharaoh, the crowds thought, but we're not free from Rome. We need a king. When will we get our king? You see, Israel was an occupied territory now controlled by Rome. But during this feast, nationalistic zeal is at its peak. With perhaps as many as two to three million people, per the historian Josephus, filling the streets of Jerusalem for this particular annual celebration. If only we had a king, many thought. If only God would send the Messiah. Could this be the one? Could this be the long-awaited Savior who will rescue us from Rome? These pilgrims want a Savior. You see, they, they want a miracle worker like Moses, who will also be a military warrior like David, one who can summon an army to defeat the enemy. With no king in six centuries, they're ready for a king, they're ready to rally behind a king. Some begin to wonder, could Jesus be the one? Could now be the time? Could this be our king? No, church, I'm here to tell you this morning, the crowds were on to something because Jesus is the promised king. He is the promised 
king. They're hoping he's the one. And guess what? He's the one. He is the descendant of the great King David, whose kingdom would last forever and ever and ever. And so with elevated messianic expectations, John says they take palm branches and they go out to meet him shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. See, in this moment, the mighty miracle worker was treated like the king. Welcomed with palm branches, a national symbol of hope and victory. Meaning these folks are ready for Jesus to save them from Caesar. And just in case the palm fronds aren't clear enough, they shout, Hosanna, save us, is what they say. These Passover pilgrims are praising Jesus as one who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting Psalm 118, one of several psalms sung each morning by the temple choir during this festival. Someone then says, blessed is the king of Israel, making quite clear their wishes. These pilgrims are ready to declare Jesus as the Messiah and crown him as the king and come together as freedom fighters against the Romans. And John helps us. As scriptures authors often do, he helps us connect the dots, pointing to the prophecies of old. To Zechariah's call in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, verse 9, to, to rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, a charge, a call to worship to the people of the Lord presiding in Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, John reminds us That Jesus knows what he's doing. He reminds us that God knows exactly what he's doing in sending his son in such a way for such a time as this. And so church, as we read, as we remember, may we revel in the promises and the providence of our God. See, His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts, but His Word will accomplish what He desires and achieve the purpose for which He sends it. Little did they know their suspicions were right. Jesus came as the promised King. He came as the one sent from heaven to rescue the oppressed, to set the captive free. He is Isaiah's Prince of Peace, sent to reign on David's throne with justice and righteousness Forever. Jesus came to save. He came to rescue. He came to win a battle. But his battle plan seemed off. Unconventional. So unconventional that it was unrecognizable. Not only by the crowds but even by his own disciples, his own people, his own followers. John says only after Jesus was glorified did his disciples realize these things had been written about him. 
You know, church, in light of what's going on in the world today, I'm convinced that sometime in the very near future, a book will be written with a title something like this, The Tale of Two Vladimirs. You know who I'm talking about. The first Vladimir, last name Putin, is characterized as a tyrant, a leader, a self-proclaimed leader bent on taking in more territory, bent on making a name and reputation, a legacy for himself, often tucked away in large buildings with private quarters, rarely seen among the people, always wearing a coat and tie, isolated, lack of interaction, at least in recent days, among civilians. But there's another Vladimir who's often seen daily, it seems, among the people, wearing civilian clothes. Gathering with citizens under attack, standing beside military warriors, encouraging and calling for help, uplifting and asking, asking others to come alongside, encouraging his own people to stand their ground. You know, he's a Jewish man whose character may just reflect that of another Jewish man. One who doesn't come in clothes of a dignitary. Jesus doesn't come in clothes of royalty. No, he comes wearing civilian clothes. Jesus comes not on a war horse, but a donkey. Surrounded by livestock. Yes, of course, at his birthplace in Bethlehem. We're familiar with that story. But also now on his way to his death place upon the mountain of Jerusalem. Surrounded by flocks of lambs ready to be sold as substitutes, soon to be sacrificed in place of human sinners. Friends, that's what's going on here. That's what John is recording. That's the culmination of the festival soon to take place. Little did these pilgrims know, the one traveling with them was not only the promised king, but he is also the perfect lamb. He is the promised king, but he's a king who came to die. Jesus is the promised king who came to die. The king who came to die. He's a humble hero. But the crowds want a winning warrior. Donkeys and fig trees. Taxes to Caesar. Foot washing, servitude and suffering. No thank you. Soon uncertain of Jesus' mission, the crowds reject him. They don't just dismiss him, they aim to destroy him. But they don't know that their attempt to destroy him aligns with God's perfect mission for him. Jesus knew this. Jesus has been prepping his disciples for this. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And then again, just a day or two before this particular event, Jesus is dining with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and some others there in Bethany. And the Bible says, John says that Mary anoints Jesus' feet with an expensive perfume, a very expensive perfume. 
And one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, you're familiar with him. He's the one that's soon going to betray Jesus, objected to this, saying, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. But listen to how Jesus responds. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus says, we're going to Jerusalem, and there in Jerusalem, I will die. I'm about to die. Like, what? Jesus, why? Why why would you do this? Don't let them do this. Why, God, would you allow this? Because God's mission is far bigger than Rome. And His mercy far greater than they know. And His love far deeper than we deserve. Friends, Jesus came to die. The perfect Lamb surrounded by insufficient lambs. He came to lay down His life on the altar of the cross as the all-sufficient sacrifice right smack in the middle of thousands of insufficient ones. His death aligning with theirs, not merely as a temporary substitute for a few, but as the God-ordained and graciously offered permanent substitute for the sins of the whole wide world. Jesus is the promised King who came to die for The sins of the world. You see, Jesus is on a mission. But these folks just don't understand his mission. They want a political ruler to conquer a political enemy. But Christ has come to defeat a far greater enemy to conquer sin and death. And to do so not only as the king of Israel, but as the Lord of the nations. This king has come. To build a global nation comprised of Jews and Gentiles, of young and of old, of men and of women, of slaves and of free, rich and poor, black, brown, yellow and white, to be saved from the shackles of sin and adopted into the eternal family of the Almighty God. I'm here to ask you this morning, are you part of his family? Have you been rescued from your sin, fully forgiven and freed and covered by the blood of Christ and called one of God's own. Are you part of his family? See, his friends don't yet understand this. And the Pharisees wanted to get rid of him. Seeing the crowds hail him, the Pharisees said to one another, this is getting us nowhere. The whole world has gone after him. Hyperbole. But, in a sense, prophecy. If they only knew, right, that soon this donkey-riding disruption from Galilee would have pagans across the world putting their faith in him, and that one day people from every nation, tribe, people, and language would believe in him. John doesn't want us to miss this global movement. Teasing us in the very next verse, chapter 12, verse 20. He says, now there were some Greeks, non-Jews, among those who went up to worship at the festival. They know of this gathering and they want to participate. They've heard of Israel's God and they 
have come along to worship him. There were some Greeks among those who went up to worship. They came to Philip with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Gentiles asking to meet Jesus. Can't you hear the hope in their voices? Can't you see the anticipation across their faces? We want to see Jesus. Philip, is there any way that you could arrange for us to see your friend, your master, Jesus? Oh, friends, wouldn't you like to see Jesus, the humble king who hung with sinners, the good shepherd who gave his life for his sheep, the son of man who washed his disciples' feet, the man who multiplied the fish and loaves to feed the masses, the man who confronted the Pharisees. Wouldn't you like to see him? You know, I can't speak for you, but one day I'm going to see him. I'm going to see the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. I'm going to see the Savior of sinners. One day you too can see Jesus. You can see Jesus the King, not for a moment or a minute, not even a day or a decade, but friend, forever and ever, for all of eternity, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Friends, Jesus came to save. He came to deliver sinners from the due judgment of a just God. We have a problem, folks, a real problem, a deep problem. It's not Rome. Nor is it Russia. It's much closer and much more personal to all of us. It's spelled S-I-N and it lives deep within us. The solution isn't found on Wall Street or in Washington, but it's found in the finished work of the one who walked the stone street in the old city of Jerusalem. Friends, he's in heaven today. He's reigning on high. For this promised king isn't a temporary ruler, but he's the eternal king of glory whose kingdom knows no end. And the reason, the reason we make so much of this king today, on this day, is that one day this king will come again. Jesus is the promised king who came to die for the sins of the world and who will come again. Again, he's coming again. He's going to come again. Will he be coming for you? Oh, oh friend, will he be coming for you? It wouldn't be long. Jesus would tell his followers, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Friend, I'm here to tell you this morning that you and I want to be where Jesus is. For there's no place like the paradise he's preparing for his people, for those who trust in him. Have you trusted in him? Have you bowed before this king who came to die for you? Is your faith in Jesus the king? 
Oh, friends, submit to Jesus the King. Submit to Jesus. Who is the King? Submit to Jesus the King. Submit your heart to Him today, confessing your sin and receiving Christ as your Savior and King. For the humble King on the donkey will one day mount His white horse and defeat every enemy, all while gathering the people of God into His presence, cleared of guilt because they're covered by His blood, And this same John who writes these words got a glimpse of that day. He says in Revelation chapter 19, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. John says the armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of of lords. Church Jesus is the promised king who came to die for the sins of the world and who will come again. According to the Bible, there are only two camps of people. You are either covered by the lamb's blood or condemned by the words coming from his mouth. You are either a citizen of Babylon or the new Jerusalem. Two camps on a collision course marching toward battle, but there will be no real battle. God will speak, the war will end. And judgment will be pronounced. Friend, will you be judged? Or did Jesus take your judgment? When justice is pronounced, will you be judged? Or did Jesus take your judgment? Christ's return will mean condemnation for those who reject him. But, O church, his return will spark thunderous praise from all those who know him. John says, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, or far greater, far more joyous than the crowds lining the streets of Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. Oh, church, as those who are His, let's join all who are His and let's give Him glory. Glory. He is worthy of glory. He deserves glory. Let's be a people who sing praises to Jesus the King. Sing praises to Jesus the King. Hallelujah. That's what they say. What say you? Are you part of the great multitude who know Jesus died and that he died for you? 
Oh, church, let's worship the king. Let's worship him even now, right now, right here. Anticipating his soon return. Let's worship the king. Let's collectively lift our voice in song. Let's praise him. Let's bow our hearts before him. Let's exalt him together. As people who've been rescued from the penalty of our sin by the grace of our almighty God, the pure and perfect lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the promised king who came to die for the sins of the world and who will come again. He's coming. Are you ready for Christ's coming? Oh, friends, let's worship him. Even now, as David, as our musicians come, would you stand right where you are? Let's worship him. Let's bow our hearts before him. Let's express faith in him. Let's honor him. Let's give him the glory that he alone deserves. Let's submit ourselves to him. Church, this is a time that we do so collectively. We do so together. What a joy it is to do so in the company of fellow pilgrims who've come to Christ. But also a time that we do so individually. So this is a time to put your faith in Christ. This is a time to confess your sins. This is a time to celebrate His grace. This is a time to cry out in praise. So let's do just that this morning. Let's pray. Then let's worship. You worship. You respond as the Lord leads you. And oh God, you are worthy. You alone are worthy of our lives and our praise. You alone are the giver of life and the sustainer of life and the redeemer of life through Jesus, your Son, who is our Savior. So God, lead us now. Continue to stir us now by your Spirit's guidance and presence. Convict us. Comfort us. Draw us. That we might know and rest in your love. Hear our praise. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.